Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Everyone has sort of their quirks. One of my wife's quirks is she can't sleep if there's any noise. Now, where we live, you can hear a little bit of highway noise at night. And it doesn't bother me any, but when we moved into our house, she couldn't sleep. And so she figured out after a while that if she wears earplugs while she sleeps, that'll help her. Like she pops those things in and she's out, which is really great for her. But what happens is I'll forget that she's wearing earplugs and I'll just start telling her a story. There's something I want to tell her and I'll just start talking and I'll go on for two, three, four minutes. And finally it'll hit me like she hasn't responded at all. She hasn't asked me any questions. She hasn't affirmed my story. Like it's just crickets because she has no idea that I'm talking. She has her earplugs in. She can't hear anything. By the time we get to this section of the Bible called the prophets, I imagine this is a little how God feels. Like the people of Israel, God's people have earplugs in. They don't even know he's talking. He's been trying to communicate with them for years, but they won't listen. And so he raises up these guys called prophets. And the prophet's job is that God is going to speak to them as individuals. And then they go and speak on his behalf to his people. And the hope is God's going, okay, you won't listen to me. Maybe you will listen to my prophet. Today we're going to look at one of those prophets. His name is Daniel. So if you've got a Bible with you, go there to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Use your table of contents because he's hiding in there somewhere. Look for him. You'll find him, and while you're getting there, here's a little background of what's going on. God had been trying to warn his people. He sent prophet after prophet. He's done what he can do to try and get their attention. He's going, you guys, the direction that you're going, if you keep going that way, you're going to experience pain, and I don't want that for you. So he's trying to do everything he can to warn them, to tell them. He even lets them experience just a little bit of the pain that's coming. A couple hundred years before Daniel, he lets this, God lets this nation called Assyria come into Israel and, and conquer parts of it and take a bunch of the Israelites into captivity. And it's sort of a warning shot. It's sort of a, it's sort of a foreshadowing. Hey, Israel, you better wake up and listen because this is just a glimpse of the pain that's coming if you don't listen to me. And he hoped that would get their attention. He restores the nation of Israel and thinks maybe now they'll listen, but they don't. It doesn't wake them up. They still got their earplugs in, and so God lets it happen. He lets this powerful nation called Babylon come in and around 600 BC destroy Jerusalem, take out the Israelites, destroy the temple, and steal everything that is sacred to God's people. And it's sort of in this scene and it's in this story that we meet this guy named Daniel. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Daniel chapter 1 gives us the background of Daniel's story. And, and, and here's what it says. It says, in the third year of the reign of this king named Jehoiakim, he's king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. 
these articles Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So we get introduced to this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar who is brutal. He is powerful. He comes into Jerusalem and he just embarrasses the Israelites. He tears down the city. He destroys the temple. He mocks God and he takes a bunch of them into captivity. And among them are this guy, is this guy named Daniel. Daniel is a member of the royal family. He's in the lineage of King David. He's probably about 15 years old at the time, and Daniel will spend basically the rest of his life, he'll spend 70 years in Babylon as a prisoner, as an exile. Now, here's what's really sad about this story, is that after all this, the Assyrian exile, God restoring them, God sending prophet after prophet after prophet, finally they're in exile in Babylon, and you get this sense like maybe now they'll listen. Maybe they'll take out the earplugs and they'll actually listen to what God is saying, but they don't. And so God, in another effort, raises up another prophet, this guy named Daniel. And God is going to give Daniel a message to communicate to his people. And so God gives Daniel this, this vision of the things to come. God paints a picture of here's what the Israelites can expect in the next years and decades and even centuries and it's not good news. The message is scary and it's ominous. But like all of the prophets, God gives this warning, but he wraps it all in a promise of restoration and hope. And so for thousands of years, people have been reading this prophecy of Daniel and they've been finding hope. And so today what I want to do is just a couple of things. One, I want to walk through this, this prophecy and, and just give you a little flavor of prophecy. And then I want to sort of turn it and go, okay, so what? 2,500 years ago, a guy has a dream. What does that matter to you and I today? So Daniel chapter 7, here we go. Here's our story. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. So this guy, Belshazzar, is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. There is a time where Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar both together rule Babylon. And so what this is telling us is this is still while the Israelites are in exile. They're still in Babylon. And God gives a vision or he gives a dream to this guy named Daniel. Now, you know, we don't know how God speaks to a lot of the prophets. Does he speak? Do they hear his audible voice? Does he send them an email? I don't know what he does, but somehow he speaks to them. We know with Daniel, he gives him a vision. Interesting enough, I don't, I don't think that God speaks a single time in the book of Daniel. I think he's always communicating through visions and dreams. And so he gives a vision to Daniel. Here's the vision, verse 2. He says, uh, uh, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. And so he has this dream, he has this vision, and he looks and it's the sea. And in the ancient world, the, the sea is a symbol of chaos. And so what he's noticing is that out of chaos is coming these four beasts. Listen to it. Verse 4, the first, he says, was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. 
I watched until the wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. So you have this lion. He has wings. The wings are torn off. This is a beast, but somehow becomes, it seems like sort of becomes a human. Keep going. Verse 5, there was before me a second beast. This one looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So first we have this lion. Now we see a bear. It sounds like not warm and cuddly teddy bear. This is a violent bear. Then there's a, verse 6, there's a, a third beast. After that I looked, and there before me was another one. This one looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird, and this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Okay, it's starting to get weird, right? We got animals now have four heads. Keep going. Verse 7, it says, after that in my vision, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. So oh, this one was terrifying and frightening because the other ones were just fine. Those were just ordinary things you see in a dream all the time. But this one was scary. And this one was very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims. It trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from the other beasts. It had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This one horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Weird dream, right? Scary stuff. You had that dream about going to work naked. You thought that was scary. This is worse. <laughs> Crazy beasts, animals. What the Bible later explains to us and what scholars and historians have been able to sort of piece together is that what God is doing is He's giving Daniel a picture, a vision of the earthly kingdom's that are to come. He's painting a picture of what the Jewish people can expect in the coming years and decades and even centuries. I want to slow down for a minute and sort of walk through it and see if we can understand it a little bit because there's this sense, there's this tendency in which we could just sort of read through something like this and go, yeah, it's, this is old. I don't know what this is. It's beasts and weird, scary stuff. But let's, let's try and make sense of it because I think it's actually really good. I think it, I think it matters. So let's, let's think through these beasts for a minute. The first one was a lion, remember? And the Bible says that this lion represents the kingdom of Babylon. Specifically, this lion is Nebuchadnezzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world. And when he attacked, he was king of the jungle, man. There was no slowing him down. He was roaring around and he attacked with the strength of a lion. But if you read Nebuchadnezzar's story, if you read Daniel and you read his story, there is a time where he's removed from power. He's taken out of the palace. I, I, I think that's what's going on when the wings are ripped off. Remember that? The wings were ripped off the lion. I think that's what's happening. The Bible says that he basically, Nebuchadnezzar, loses his mind. He actually lives in a field, and it says he acts like a beast. Until this point comes where he, he repents, he says, I'm sorry. And the Bible says that God sort of restores his human mind. It makes him, God makes him human again. See how the lion is the story of Babylon, is the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar? The next beast that we have is this, is this bear, right? 
And this bear represents the kingdom that would come after the Babylonians. You have the Babylonians, the, the lion reigning, and then the next kingdom, the, the, the next beast, is this bear. And this is the kingdom of the Medo-Persians. And, and, and there's all kinds of imagery here about this bear. They were a violent group of people. There's all kinds of, of pictures and, and imagery about what it means that the bear is raised up on one side, but it has three ribs in its mouth. Uh, the Persians, when they, when they rose to power, they had to defeat three nations. This is probably symbolic of the three powerful nations that they had to beat to come into power. The third beast is a leopard. This leopard represents the Greeks. Leopards are, are they move swiftly the Greeks, the Greek army moved very fast across the land. In fact, Alexander the Great, under his reign, Alexander the Great conquered the entire known world by the time he was 32 years old. He just moved fast. This beast had four heads. Remember, this leopard had four heads. Alexander the Great had four powerful generals. When he, when he died, his kingdom was broken up into four parts. So we have the lion, the Babylonians. We have the, the, the Medo-Persians and the bear. We have the leopard. And, and, and then finally, we have this crazy fourth beast. It has iron teeth. It's devastating. And this is believed to be the Roman. The Roman Empire was devastating. The Roman Empire, the Romans didn't leave anyone behind. They just wiped people out. This beast had 10 horns. Horns in the ancient world are symbolic of, of, of kings. Well, Rome had 10 significant kings in their sort of reign of terror. And so you can see that what God is doing is he's giving Daniel a vision of what's to come. Here's what the Israelites can expect over the coming years. Here are the kingdoms that are going to rise up. They find themselves in exile now, but it's not like anything's going to magically sort of get better. In fact, the suffering is going to, the pain is going to continue. And as we go through the series, you're going to notice this, that when God speaks through the prophets, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And, and honestly, I'm glad. He just gives it to them straight. Some of his warnings are pretty dire. They're pretty extreme where God goes, this is going to happen. And this is one of those cases where he goes, suffering is real. It's not just going to magically just going to go away. Suffering is a part of life, and it's, and it's going to continue. And he promises in the midst of these prophecies that he gives, he always promises that he's going to protect his people, and he's going to provide for his people, but he's honest about what's going to continue to happen. And so at, at this time, for this group of people, it's the Babylonians. They're going to rule like a lion. But then come the Persians, and they're like a violent bear, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and they're the worst of all. But here's what's so interesting about this passage, because as scary and ominous as it is, you have these crazy beasts, and it sounds terrifying. The book of Daniel is something that has given peace and hope to God's people for thousands of years. And while it, it promises that suffering is going to continue there's more to the vision that God shares with Daniel. Keep going. Watch this. Verse 9. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who is the Ancient of Days? It's God, God the Father. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. 
and its wheels were all ablaze. And so you have this picture of these violent, awful, powerful beasts in this vision. But then Daniel depicts God as apparently the, the Ancient of Days is even more powerful than even these beasts. He, he, he's dressed in all white because he's perfect and pure. He has hair that's white because the Ancient of Days is all-knowing. God is all-wise. His, his throne is surrounded by flames of fire because he's all-powerful. His throne is depicted as, as having wheels that are on fire. Why would a throne have Wheels, because it's a chariot. The Ancient of Days is a warrior who fights for his people. Verse 11, he says, Then I continued to watch. I watched the boastful words that the horn was speaking. Remember on that fourth beast, there were the ten horns, and there was the one that came up and uprooted some of the others, and this one was, was speaking, bragging, boastful words. He says, I was watching, I kept watching, until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and it was thrown into the blazing fire. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Who calls himself the son of man? Jesus. He was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion. It will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Beasts and fire and flaming thrones and, and people being thrown into fire to destruction. Simplest explanation of this prophecy, sort of Brad's version of this prophecy goes something like this. Life is hard. God will be victorious. He will crush the arrogant and the evil, and Christ's kingdom will never end. And for centuries, this prophecy has given hope to God's people. For the people in the Old Testament, it gave them hope because though they were in exile and they had experienced so much suffering, This promise that there is a day where God is going to wipe out these evil kingdoms, where God will destroy these earthly kingdoms and these earthly kings gave them hope that that day was coming. And in so many ways that day was fulfilled when Christ came to earth because Jesus came to the Jews in a time where they were under the oppression of the Romans and the Romans were brutal. And while the Jewish people thought that God would send a military leader who would come in and defeat Rome militarily, what they got was something better because this Jesus can take away the power that Rome has. See, Rome could kill you, and Rome did kill Christians. They oppressed Christians. They slaughtered God's people. But because of Jesus and and his death and his resurrection, even death has no sting. Even death doesn't take away all of their hope. There is nothing to fear. And so for thousands of years, this passage was used to bring people hope where God goes, there's a day that I'm going to defeat evil. There's a day that those evil kings and kingdoms that oppress you and that are violent and that spill blood, I'm going to end that and I am going to reign forever in my goodness. And it, it brought people hope. And when Jesus came and he died and he came back to life, he fulfilled in many ways this prophecy 
that there is no earthly kingdom that can destroy God's people, that can take away the hope that they have. And the Jewish people held on to the knowledge that though life might be hard now, there's a day coming where God will be victorious. But I would submit to you that this isn't just hope for the Jewish people, that there is in this passage hope for us today, because I believe that this passage falls in, in, in what scholars would call a, a type of prophecy called double fulfillment, and that it was fulfilled once through the earthly kingdoms and their destruction and through the coming of Christ and Christ defeating death and, and coming back to life and taking away the power even of the most brutal reign of these Roman people and such. I, I believe that this scene and this prophecy is going to be fulfilled a second time when Jesus doesn't just destroy earthly evil and earthly kingdoms, but he takes away Satan's power and destroys Satan's kingdom. You should read it for yourself. Go to the end of your Bible, Revelation 19 and 20, and listen to the, the description. It's the end of the world. It's the judgment of the world. And God judges Satan and destroys him and takes away his power and throws him into a lake of fire. And the language lines up so much with what happens in Daniel 7. I think what God is telling us is there is a day coming that we can look forward to where God fulfills this a second time. And so for the Jews in Babylon, while God wasn't there through Daniel to give them good news, and while maybe I can't give you great news today and go, oh, you're suffering in the ways that life is hard. It's going to all be fine. It's going to all get better. In some ways, we can't say that about life. Suffering is going to continue. Pain is, is going to keep going. But I think there's this promise that if we would look forward, there is a day coming, God says, where, where he will be victorious and, and, and he will crush what is evil and what is arrogant. And his kingdom will last forever. And I think he's calling us to look forward to that day. And I think that's the picture that he was giving to Daniel to, to, to give to the Jewish people. You're suffering now, but there's a day coming of hope. But I hear you could easily go, I mean, it's cool, but you could easily go, okay, so what? Right? There's something about this that it's like principally we know this, but it sort of lives out there in the ether. What do we, what do we sort of do with this? I, I want to leave chapter 7, and I want to go back to chapter 6 for a minute. And actually, as we do, Daniel chapter 6, as we do, we're actually going to go, uh, we're actually going to go forward in time. The events of Daniel 6 take place about 30 years after the vision of Daniel 7. And what I want to show you is just like, okay, God has spoken. God has claimed that he's going to be victorious and that he's going to reign and he's going to destroy evil. But so what? I want to show you what it does in Daniel's life because I think it might speak into, into our life. So 30 years later, the Jews are still in exile in Babylon but now they're not under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Now they're under Persian rule, just like the prophecy had said. Now the bear has arrived, right? It was the lion. It was Babylon. Now they're under the oppression of the Medo-Persians, the bear. And the Persians are led by a guy named Darius, and he's the king of Persia. And Darius actually likes Daniel. And so he appoints Daniel to all these positions. He gives him charge over things. He makes him really part of the, of the government. But Darius's buddies don't like this. They're uh, jealous of Daniel. And so they... They figure out a way to get this guy out of power. They figure out a way to sort of trick Daniel. And, and, and they dive into his life, and they're trying to dig up some dirt on the guy. They're trying to sort of go, can we find some skeletons in this guy's closet? But Daniel is squeaky clean. And so they come up with this idea. They go, listen, this is what we know, that if we can get Daniel to break God's law, 
Or if we could put a law in place that would, that would contradict God's law, he won't do it. Daniel is so good, he'll never break God's law. So if we can make a law that contradicts God's law, he won't follow our law. And then we can nail him to the wall. And then the king will have to do something about it. And he'll boot him out or he'll kill him. Listen to, listen to their plan and how it unfolds. Daniel 6, verse 6. It says, so the administrators went as a group to the king and they said, may King Darius live forever. Your officials have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce this decree that anyone who prays to any god or any human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. So just a total bunch of suck-ups, right? They work the system and they go, oh, king, you should make a law that everybody has to worship you and they can't worship their own God because they know that Daniel won't follow this. And they go, and you know what should be the punishment? We should kill him. We should throw him into a pit with lions. And they play, of course, to his ego, right? So watch this, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, Darius goes, okay, Let's make it a law. No one can worship any, anybody else really but me. No other gods, no other human beings. Daniel learns that this has become law. It says he went home. He went to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed. And he gave thanks to God just as he had done before. He's not supposed to worship anyone else. You can praise Darius, but not any other human, not any other God. But Daniel can't do that. He goes, I can't worship anyone else. And I can't stop worshiping and praying to my God because he's my God. He sustains me and he's, he blesses me in, in so many ways and I'm not going to stop. And so I love what he does. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't panic. He doesn't protest. He just prays. And you go, why? What, what makes him do that? And there's a churchy sort of cheesy answer that we can fall on and go, oh, he knows God's going to take care of him. He knows prayer fixes everything. I, I don't think that's it. I actually think Daniel knows what's coming. He knows that he's going to be found out. He doesn't try and hide it, by the way. He opens his windows in his room and he prays toward Jerusalem because he goes, that's where the temple was. And that's where God meets with his people. And so he, I want to connect with my God. And so he prays towards the temple, basically out in the open. And he knows he's getting thrown in with the lions. So why does he do it? I think he remembers the vision. I think he remembers what God has told him, that life is hard, Daniel, but I will be victorious. I will crush the evil and the arrogant, and my kingdom will never end. I think this is buried in Daniel's heart that he goes, you know what, I'm probably getting chucked in with some lions, but I believe this, that God will be victorious and that there's a day coming that I can look forward to where he reigns forever. So what do we do with it? What does it mean for us? Thousands of years later, this vision that this guy has, let me, let's take this for a second. Take this right here and just lay this over the grid of your life for a minute. I mean, let me ask you, is life hard? Yeah, life's hard, right? And there are some people who experience that more and some people who experience it less. There are seasons that are more difficult than others, but I don't think I have to convince you that life is hard. And if you're like, hey, you know, my life's pretty easy right now, talk to a friend. It won't take long. You'll find somebody who goes, yeah, life is hard. I'm really struggling. And I think in so many ways, it's not just big stuff. 
It's the everyday stuff. We're reminded all the time that life is really hard. You know, I was thinking about how today is Mother's Day, right? Happy Mother's Day to the moms, your, your rock stars. Is it hard to be a mom? Yeah, it is, right? Do you also know that Mother's Day is a really hard day for a lot of people? This day that is beautiful is also really hard for lots of people because their mom has passed away or they don't have a mom in their life or they can't see their mom this Mother's Day. I know for us in our house, Mother's Day was really hard for lots of years because my wife wanted to be a mom and that couldn't happen. And it was a hard day. It was a day that just reminded us of the thing that we wanted that we, we, we didn't and couldn't have. I know we'd stay home from church that day because you go to church, they make a really big deal about it. And it was hard for us to be reminded of it. This day that should be celebrated and honored, we should do that. We should celebrate moms. And yet this day is also really hard for lots of people. And just something so simple as a day, just part of life, that that, that could be a reminder of how hard life is. We're, we're reminded all the time in everyday ways. You and I could sit down and we could make a list together of all the ways that life is hard. It is. It's hard. But come back here for a second. Because God goes on and he shows Daniel that he will be victorious. That he will crush the arrogant, the oppressors, the evil. And I, I just, I look at this and I wonder, do we believe that? And that's where faith comes in, right? Because we all know that life is hard. I don't have to convince you. We experience that. We see and feel that all the time. But, but go to this next part. See, Daniel prayed and, and believed that God is going to win, that God will be victorious, and he will destroy these people who are hurting me. And that doesn't mean that Daniel thought everything was going to be okay. No, I think he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to get chucked in with the lions, but he believed even in that, even if the lions tear me to pieces, I believe that God is going to be victorious in the end. I'm so challenged by that. Do we believe that? Do we live like that? Do we pray like that? Daniel has this view of God that he can defeat kings and he can tear down evil and he can restore everything, even that he can shut the mouths of lions, which is what God will do. I don't know if my view of God is that big. He has this view like, like God, is, God is nuclear. He's full of power. He can do anything. And I know me, I go, life is hard. And I, I find myself praying to sort of this junior varsity version of Jesus, like, hey, if you're not too busy, could you help me? And Daniel is, is, is living in this space. It's not a message that's warm and fuzzy like, okay, life's going to be okay. But it's this message where God goes, listen, I've written the end of the story, and here's what I can tell you, I win. And then there's this last piece where God promises that Christ's kingdom will reign forever, that there is a day coming, the Bible says, where there's no more suffering and no more pain and no more death and sadness and, and sickness. There's a day coming where Christ in all of his goodness reigns forever, today and tomorrow and the next day and next week and next century and for all time. 
It never stops. His goodness just keeps overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. And I'm, I'm challenged by this idea. And I want to encourage you and challenge you with it today as well. Because what I know is true about me is I spend a lot of time right here. I spend a lot of mental energy, a lot of emotional energy going, life is hard. i got to get through this, and I've got this going on, and I'm stressed about this, and I'm anxious about this. I spend most of my waking hours right here. But what, what God is really showing Daniel is that he wants us to live right here. To invest ourselves, our energy, our prayers, our life, our thoughts here. Yes, life is hard. But instead of focusing everything here, to focus, to look forward to the day that God will be victorious. Where Jesus reigns in all his goodness and power forever. And I want to encourage you, if you find yourself living here, being stuck here, ask God to help you. God, change my mind that I would live in this space. Open my eyes that I would look for the day. God, will you will be victorious, that I will long in my heart and change me in my soul even, God, that I would long for that day where Christ's kingdom will reign forever. And if you've believed the lie that we're worshiping a Jesus who doesn't have power, over suffering in this world, who isn't going to one day win. Ask God to help you to see and come back. Ask him to help you come back here to this knowledge that he will be victorious. Choose to believe that God wins and that Christ reigns forever. Pray with me. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the truth that you give us. God, life is hard. You don't have to convince us. God, help us to not get stuck there. Help us to know that you're good and that you're powerful and that there is no suffering, there's no evil, there's nothing in this world that you're not capable of overcoming. There's nothing in our lives that you're not capable of bringing peace to. God, help us to not focus just on what's hard because there are things in our life, God, you know everything. You know there are things in our life that are difficult. Physical things, emotional things, relational things, spiritual things. God, we're struggling with anxiety and loneliness and depression. God, help us to not get stuck on the ways that life is hard, but to long for your kingdom to come, for Christ to reign forever. Help us to have confidence that right now life might be hard, but you win. You've already written the end of the story. You come out on top. In the blink of an eye, you destroy everything that is evil, arrogant, and oppressive, and corrupt. God, thanks for Jesus who destroyed the sting of death when he walked out of the grave. Thanks that he gave us life by giving his own life. God, help us to be confident today to know that you win, not get stuck.
in the pain that we're feeling, but to look forward to that day that Jesus Christ reigns forever. It's in his name we pray. Amen.